Good morning and welcome to the Bulwark podcast. We are joined on this Wednesday, uh, the day after the first hearing of the January 6th committee, uh, by our colleague, Bill Crystal. Bill, thanks for coming on the podcast. Appreciate it very much. My pleasure as always, Charlie. Okay, we need to warn the audience, um, not not just simply about explicit language, but we're going to be playing some sound bites from the last 24 hours, and we're not going to be editing them. Um, we're not going to be bleeping them out, and some of them are going to be highly disturbing. So um, I, here's, here's just the trigger warning that we're going to do it. In fact, um, we might as well just dive into, uh, you know, clear out the faint of heart right away at the top of the podcast so they don't spend, you know, 45 minutes and then realize, oh, my goodness, this is terrible. You know, um, uh, I, I have to say that every once in a while you have these moments of clarity. And I think we had a lot of moments of clarity yesterday during that that hearing. But um, one of the uh, one of the officers who testified and had, I think, the most some of the most dramatic testimony is Michael Fanone, uh, who has told his story before. Um, but, but did it very, very forcefully. And, and by the way, let's, let's play the, let's play the first, uh, Michael Fanone, um, soundbite where it's, it, it's, it, I described it as, as close to an have you no shame moment as we are likely to get in Washington, D.C. these days. Of course, that's a reference to Joseph Welch and, and Joe McCarthy. Uh, but there was a moment when Michael Fanone called out members of Congress who have really turned their back on on uh, uh, police officers uh, like himself. Let's play that. What makes the struggle harder and more painful is to know so many of my fellow citizens, including so many of the people I put my life at risk to defend, are downplaying or outright denying what happened. I feel like I went to hell and back to protect them and the people in this room. But too many are now telling me that hell doesn't exist or that hell actually wasn't that bad. The indifference shown to my colleagues is disgraceful. My law enforcement career prepared me to cope with some of the aspects of this experience. Being an officer, you know your life is at risk whenever you walk out the door even if you don't expect otherwise law-abiding citizens to take up arms against you. But nothing, truly nothing, has prepared me to address those elected members of our government who continue to deny the events of that day. And in doing so, betray their oath of office. This was a powerful moment, Bill Crystal. Uh, there were so many powerful moments. Uh, I, 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 I admit, I... I was surprised by how powerful, how riveting the testimony was, even though we've heard some of these stories before. Um, it, it, it felt different yesterday, didn't it? It did. And I, I had the same experience that I've been saying in a more kind of rarefied level that in a certain way, what happened between November 3rd and January 6th, the real attempts to subvert the election through the Justice Department, through the Defense Department, uh, the the calls to Georgia Secretary of State and pressuring the Michigan uh, election officials and so forth, that was really fundamentally more serious than the insurrection itself on the 6th. That was terrible, of course, but it was you know, more symbolically terrible and terrible for the, obviously for the officers. But, but I've got to say, I, I think I underestimate, I, that, I think that's true at yeah. some level of kind of, you know, <laughs> political theory abstraction and in terms of what has to be fixed for the future in terms of election laws and so forth. But I, I also slightly underestimated just the, the drama of these Capitol police uh, doing their job and the degree to which the, it was a close run thing. It could have been a heck of a lot worse. 
really huge. And and this was in the U.S. Capitol. And I, I guess in that respect, when you know you sometimes can overthink these things, and just the the the, the horror of the day, which I remember in real time, you know, seeing it uh, from here on, on television, just a few miles away from the Capitol, and and thinking, my God, is this really happening in America? I think that was really brought home uh, yesterday. It, it really was. Um, and one of the things that was also, I, I think, really underlined was how um, you know, much of the rights we back the blue, blue lives matter, um, has really been a sham. I, I just think the, the reaction to Officer Fanon and Officer Dunn and Officer Gunnell, uh, the mockery on uh, in conservative media was was truly extraordinary. But just to give give people a sense of the ugliness, and here's here's where I have the the, the trigger warning about the, the language. This was played on CNN last night during Don Lemon's show. Uh, Michael Fanon came on and shared with listeners of CNN a voicemail call he received from somebody that I imagine thinks of themselves as a patriot, someone who loves America and supports law enforcement. But this is the raw, unedited voicemail message that was left for Officer Fanon last night. People need to hear the kind of attacks that these officers are facing right now just for telling the truth about January 6th. Play it. Yeah, this is from Michael Fanon. Metropolitan Police Officer, you're on trial right now, lying and not. You want an Emmy, an Oscar? What are you trying to go for here? You're so full of shit, you little faggot fucker. You're a little pussy, man. I can slap you up the side of your head with a backhand and knock you out, you little faggot. You're a punk faggot. You're a lying fuck. How about all that scummy black fucking scum for two years destroying our cities and burning them and stealing all that shit out of the stores and everything? How about that and assaulting cops and killing people? How about that, you fucker? That was shit on the goddamn Capitol. I wish they would have killed all you scumbags because you, you people are scum. They stole the election from Trump and you know that, you scumbag. And you fucking, too bad you didn't beat the shit out of you more. You're a piece of shit. You're a little fag, you fucking scumbag. It was, it was important for you. You did not want us to censor that. What do you say to that? What do you want people to know? And that idiot. Uh, I mean, I remember like my first reaction uh, immediately after listening to that uh, phone call, which I actually received while I was testifying uh, in the hearing today. Um, this is what happens to people that tell the truth in Trump's America. That simple. That simple. Well, it's also that ugly. Um, Bill Crystal, just give you a, a, a sense of of the folks out there. And, you know, I, I know that we're not supposed to use words like deplorable, but uh, these are the deplorables out there. And, and I think that was one of the things that came through yesterday was how ugly and hate filled much of this attack was. Yeah, and of course, it's a massive country, and there can be one disturbed person, bigoted, drunk, uh, repulsive person like that, somehow getting, I guess, Officer Fernand's cell phone number. That's a little worrisome. Uh, but again, I, I, I come back, you mentioned this in passing, to the, let's call them the conservative uh, elites, or not really, the Trumpy mm -hmm. uh, rationalizers and defenders who have a presence on the media, on Fox News, and obviously Newsmax, and have lots of followers on Facebook and Twitter. They're the in-between level that justifies this kind of thing and incites this kind of thing. You could, if they didn't exist, there'd be one of these characters somewhere and another one somewhere else, and uh, some unpleasant and things would happen, some ugly things would happen. But it wouldn't be this level of sustained vitriol, people being reinforced in their sense that they're entitled to behave like 
total, you know, deplorable human beings. And the reason that people out there think they can do that is because they look up and they see people who are being featured guests on Fox News behaving like deplorable human beings. Well, and also, um, you know, I, I we can't know for sure whether he, he had been watching uh, television, but Laura Ingram had actually devoted one of her segments to uh, mocking the officers and saying that they were, you know, vying for some sort of an Oscar or, you know, an, an acting award. And he seemed to be playing off all of that. So let's just talk about the, the political theater here. Uh, this was a very, very bad day, obviously, for the denialists and the Republicans who'd wanted a memory hole this. But also, I have to say that, you know, there was all of this uh, punditry out there about how, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi had, you know, uh, broken norms uh, and it undermined the credibility of the committee by rejecting some of the uh, members of the Sedition Caucus that Kevin McCarthy wanted to put on. But but I will tell you, uh, what you saw yesterday was not a gift to Kevin McCarthy. Uh, the the most dominant, I mean, the Republicans, Republicans dominated the news cycle. You can disagree with me. Republicans dominated the news cycle yesterday. But unfortunately for Kevin McCarthy, um, they were Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney. And the split screen, I think, was absolutely awful for the McCarthy wing of the party. I mean, here's here's Liz Cheney. If those responsible are not held accountable... And if Congress does not act responsibly, this will remain a cancer on our constitutional republic, undermining the peaceful transfer of power at the heart of our democratic system. We will face the threat of more violence in the months to come and another January 6th every four years. So, I, you know, you and I have been watching Liz Cheney for some time, Bill, um, but I'm guessing that a lot of people were watching her and paying attention for the first time yesterday. And I just thought the contrast between her and Elise Stefanik and her and Kevin McCarthy could not have been more dramatic. I totally agree. I mean, you were very strong right off the yeah. bat when, when Pelosi rejected the Republic, two of the Republican mm-hmm. nominees for the committee and then the McCarthy pulled the rest. Uh, you thought Pelosi had done the right thing. I, I kind of thought so, but I wasn't mm-hmm. certain. I thought it could backfire a little or whatever. You thought you were very, you came out right away and said, mm-hmm. yeah. good for her and she's made a good decision here and it's going to make the hearings more powerful, not less. And I think you were totally right and Pelosi's totally vindicated in that decision. Cheney, yeah, it was terrific, and Kinzinger was was powerful too. And so, uh, the Cheney Kinzinger wing of the Republican Party is much, much, much outnumbered right now. But certainly, I think if you were at all open to uh, rethinking perhaps your previous allegiances or your previous accommodation or rationalization of the Trumpist wing, uh, you saw stuff yesterday that might make you rethink. And you know, finally, I thought of you last night. I actually was looking at the some clips of the Capitol Police uh, in the evening on, on online. And, uh, you know, it's the Capitol Police. And I thought of your and my, one of our pet obsessions, Paul Ryan, uh, oh. uh, who we've both known well, uh, who's not exactly stepped up here in the last few years. Uh, he was Speaker of the House. He knows quite a lot about actually the Capitol Police and how that works. And, you know, he must have dealt with those officers. I, I didn't know exactly who they were, but certainly dealt with these officers all the time, every day. He had his own protection and so forth from them, I believe. And um, Paul Ryan is the director of Fox Corporation. Mm-hmm. As you say, Laura Ingram and Tucker Carlson and others on Fox have been trashing these Capitol Police who worked in the institution, protected the institution that Ryan had the highest position in Speaker of the House just three years ago. Maybe you could say something to the executives of Fox. 
You would you would think so, or that he could have spoken out about this particular issue more forcefully than than he has. Um, so Liz Cheney, obviously, you know, was the, the the ranking Republican member of this committee. And by the going back to this whole point about you know Nancy Pelosi, you know what Nancy Pelosi did was she vetoed the Republicans' attempt to turn this into a shit show. And the result was we got an actual substantive congressional hearing. Now, I, I'm sure that down at Mar-a-Lago, there was a lot of fuming. You know, nobody's defending me. Nobody's throwing crap at the witness, trying to discredit the witnesses. You have to you know, wait for OAN, Newsmax and Fox News to do that. But um, it was that's what felt weird about yesterday. You're watching this and going, wow, this is this is Congress. Um, you know, doing a real hearing, uh, witnesses who are forceful and riveting and emotional and, 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 and fact-based and, and the performance, look, I mean, there was, there was, there's always an element of theater in politics. Let's not kid ourselves about that. But there was also real emotion that was surprising to me. And, um, uh, you got it from Adam Kinzinger. And again, a Adam Kinzinger is not a household word outside of, you know, circles like <laughs> this podcast. Uh, but but Adam Kinzinger, I think, uh, also made a very, very powerful statement. And uh, let's let's play a little bit of Adam Kinzinger from yesterday. Mr. Chairman, and uh, thank you to my colleagues on the committee. Thank you to our witnesses. Uh, I never expected a day to be <clears throat> quite as emotional for me as it has been. I've talked to a number of you and gotten to know you. I think it's important to tell you right now, though. You guys may, like, individually feel a little broken. You guys all talk about the effects you have to deal with, and, you know, you talk about the impact of that day. But you guys won. You guys held. You know, democracies are not defined by our bad days. We're defined by how we come back from bad days, how we take accountability for that. And for all the overheated rhetoric surrounding this committee, our mission is very simple. It's to find the truth and it's to ensure accountability. That was pretty, that was pretty strong. And I, I was listening to that thinking, you know, so if you're Kevin McCarthy, all of your energy, all of your focus is exiling and excommunicating Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. But this is who they are. This is this is these are the folks that this Republican Party wants to throw into outer darkness. And I, 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 I wonder what people in the real world make of all of that, because, you know, especially for conservative Republicans who five minutes ago, Everybody would have been exactly where Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger were, supporting and praising law enforcement, defending democracy, all of those things. And now they are the outliers, Bill. Yeah, and I, I know Adam pretty well. I haven't talked to him recently, but, you know, he, he served in the military, of course, a post 9-11 veteran. And I, I kind of think he's, especially with Officer Fanon, who had served, that he saw in this kind of these, these, these officers, you know, still wounded uh, psychologically as well as physically in some cases from by what happened um you know he saw maybe sort of uh, echoes of what he'd seen among some of the men and women he served with in iraq and 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 i, I just think yeah. that maybe made him perhaps more made it more emotional and more moving for him personally it was almost like t listening to people who'd been in combat talk about their experience and how how searing it was
Well, it, it was it was quite literally like that. Let me just play just a couple more sound bites because you you mentioned this. Um, uh, the sergeant uh, is it uh, Aquilino Ganell uh, who talks about who actually had served That's in Iraq. Right, right? Yeah, right. yes, yeah, so, sergeant. You know, again, for for the people out there who are saying this was a loving crowd, there were hugs and kisses, a normal tourist visit. My own senator Ron Johnson, who said this was you know a peaceful event. Um, this, you know, I, again, how can you possibly sustain that after listening to what Sergeant Ganell said? Let's play that. They they tried to convert us. They they tried to uh, persuade us to let them in, yelling. And then once they saw that we were not doing that, then continue to even attack us even more. And it was nonstop. So my my time compared to Iraq. Totally different. This is our own citizens. People who we sworn an oath to protect, but yeah, they are attacking us uh, with the same flag that they claim to represent. And he basically goes on to say, nothing in my experience in the Army or as a law enforcement officer prepared me for what confronted us on January 6th. For the very first time, I was more afraid of working at the Capitol than in my entire Army deployment to Iraq. All right. So, Bill, there was one other um, part of this that was just, I, I, you know, really disturbing. And one of those that, you know, one of those moments where you, you, you do wonder whether we do understand the depths of the of the hatred out there um, among the seditionists. This is Officer uh, Dunn, um, who was. Uh, who who had been been attacked last week by Tucker Carlson because I think they knew that he was going to that he was going to say these things but he's 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 an African American officer and he's describing the way the crowd treated him um when when he mentioned that he, that he had voted for for Joe Biden so let's let's play this and I guess this is in the context of you know are we still going to pretend that we don't have a problem with racism in this country let's play officer Dunn. I told him to just leave the capital and in response they yelled No, man, this is our house. President Trump invited us here. We're here to stop the steal. Joe Biden is not the president. Nobody voted for Joe Biden. I'm a law enforcement officer, and I do my best to keep politics out of my job. But in this circumstance, I responded, well, I voted for Joe Biden. Does my vote not count? Am I nobody? That prompted a torrent of racial epithets. One woman in a pink MAGA shirt yelled, you hear that guys? This nigger voted for Joe Biden. Then the crowd, perhaps around 20 people, joined in screaming, boo, fucking nigger. No one had ever, ever called me a nigger while wearing the uniform of a Capitol Police officer. All right, so Bill, I guess this is what. What do you say about that? Yeah, no, it's a, kind a, of a, speechless, right? I mean, well, a, a, especially with this this revisionism that's that's taking place, where uh, we're you know, and, and led by led by Donald Trump, which is to uh, retcon the whole thing that these were patriots. Uh, the polls showing that a large number of Republicans think that that, that these people were you know trying to you know defend freedom. Um, you have uh, press conferences that are you know trying to turn many of the protesters into martyrs. Um, you know th- this. 
I think underlines the the depths of the dishonesty here. So I guess the the main question, Bill, is does any of this actually make a difference? I mean, I'm, I'm really torn because we've lived through this so many times. We've seen these, we've seen the evidence laid out. We've had dramatic testimony, and nothing ever seems to matter. Um, is that the case here, though, as well? I mean, I don't know. I, I share your sort of skepticism that something right. might matter. But I would say this. This is a point I think you've made and Jonathan Last also made in a recent newsletter, which is, you know, of course, most Trump supporters, Trump voters aren't, don't use the N-word, one presumes, and don't leave voice, you know, horrible voicemails uh, calling people mm. faggots and so yeah. police officers. And, you know, uh, I mean, those epithets say a lot about the people using them, right, in their own yeah. crazy insecurities and craziness and, and, and prejudices. But- Again, most people aren't like that. Let's just stipulate that. Most of the Trump supporters, most. Yeah. Uh, but do they repudiate them? This is the point of the JVL made the newsletter. This has been tolerated as a fringe of the conservative movement, and maybe more than a fringe, honestly. Fringe of the Republican Party, maybe more than a fringe. Not a lot of sense that you have to repudiate and discipline the, the party and the movement. You have to repudiate these kinds of people. You have to police the borders, prevent this from spilling over. And it's been tolerated. And of course, you have ex-president of the United States fostering, you know, fanning the flames. And so I have very little patience for all the sort of decent Trump supporters who are out there saying, well, I, I, I myself wouldn't have quite stormed the Capitol or beaten up a, a Capitol police officer. I don't really approve of leaving voicemails like that. Well, fine. Well, have you denounced it? If you're an elected official, if you're a mayor or a governor or a member of Congress, even if you're a citizen, have you told others in your circles that this is totally unacceptable and un-American? I mean, people need to step up here and, 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 manage, you know, and deal with the people they've been tolerating, it seems to me. Hey, let's uh, let's take a quick break here. Um, we'll be back with more from uh, with, with Bill Crystal. And Bill, I want to talk to you about your latest I Am Alarm tweets, because one of the things that we've learned is that when Bill Crystal tweets out that he is alarmed, uh, attention must be paid. And I want to talk about that when we come back. Hey, Charlie Sykes here. Uh, just a quick reminder, if you sign up for Bulwark Plus, you will have access to our morning newsletters to JVL's Triad, uh, as well as our whole suite of podcasts. This one will remain free, but if you want to listen to The Secret Podcast or uh, participate in our live streams uh, or others like The Next Level Podcast, uh, please consider joining Bulwark Plus. We're back with, with more with Bill Crystal. Bill, I, I have to ask you about uh, your tweet the other day that you were uh, alarmed about uh, the uh, the Biden administration's lack of more forceful action on uh, the, the Delta variant and the coronavirus. And as I mentioned <laughs> earlier, um, your previous series of I am alarmed uh, tweets if anything, may have understated the the degree to which we all should have been alarmed. So um, give me your sense of where we're at and what you think and uh, what, what you think the Biden administration needs to do when it's confronted with this new challenge. I mean, I think it may have turned out the Biden administration was a little more alarmed than they were letting on a couple of days yeah. ago when I when I wrote those tweets because they, I guess, are getting ready to announce a mandatory vaccination of the federal workforce. Mm -hmm stopping short still of the military, which I think is, is really ridiculous. Uh, in terms of where we are more broadly, uh, I actually recommend, if I can promote yeah. my, uh, my own conversations, these conversations sure. with Bill Crystal, which uh, um, we've discussed before. I did one with, I recorded one with Ashish Shah, the Dean of Public Health at Brown, who's a very prominent public health uh, expert and commentator on this very sensible and balanced 
yesterday. It'll be out late today. Um, so people listening to this podcast can then move on to listen to or watch the conversation with Ashish yeah. Shah. And, and he's pretty alarmed. I mean, this, this Delta, the combination of the Delta variant and 30% of adults unvaccinated is a dangerous combination, very dangerous for the unvaccinated and somewhat dangerous for those who are vaccinated, who thank God because of the vaccine are probably not going to get terribly ill or die, but who have a greater chance of contracting the virus than one would have thought a month ago when it was pre-Delta variants, and then can transmit it further, keep it alive, make it harder to get the whole thing under control. So he's very strongly, and 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 I would say in terms of policy, a little bit of masking wouldn't hurt, uh, a little bit of distancing again, uh, but the vaccine is the by far the most effective, by the important thing. I mean, the, the decisive thing I asked Ashish that, you know, what's the one thing that would make a huge difference? What would make a huge difference is if 85 or 90% of adults were vaccinated, not 70%, because you have exponential growth. And so just getting that denominator, if that's the right way to think about it, to a lower number of those who can get uh, uh, who can get infected much more easily since they're not vaccinated and then spread it keeps this will keep this surge more manageable result in fewer deaths and finally and I think importantly less disruption because I am worried now that the whole social educational economic opening up that's been going pretty well until a couple of weeks ago and looked like in the fall would be back to something close to normal going to be a bit delayed. It's going to be a bit less normal. They're going to be more co- conferences getting canceled. Let's yeah. hope school year stuff goes well. That's very important for the country. Uh, it doesn't matter that much if some business you know delays their reopening three weeks, presumably. But I mean, it matters to the people running the coffee shop and the in the in the ground floor of that of that office building. But you know, it, it, you can live with that. It's the schools that I'm now worried about. It's the kids, of course, aren't vaccinated. She's pretty optimistic that the FDA could approve a vaccine for. Uh, ages five through twelve by maybe October, and that would that be seems great. important. Yeah, very important. So mm-hmm. anyway, well, the whole thing just. But Ashish agreed with me, and he's very measured in his way of discussing these things. But that there's a slight lack of urgency, perhaps, in the Biden administration. A little bit of wanting to defend what they've done, and and you know, gee, the FDA has had this process in place for a long time about how you get from being emergency from emergency use to to uh, regular use. And it's like a little ridiculous at this point. I mean, could we just do, if that's an obstacle to getting 10% more people vaccinated, which would be a huge public really? health benefit for this country, change your FDA procedures. And so I think the Biden administration, as is often the case, I'd say with Biden, I've still been struck by this, they kind of a little slow, a little late sometimes, they usually kind of pivot to more or less the sensible thing, but you know, maybe a week after they should have, but let's hope they're really pivoting now. And I think the military is very important. There's a quote I came across this morning, I tweeted it from someone in the military saying, um, you know, if they really thought this was important, and that's someone who wasn't vaccinated, 30% of the military isn't vaccinated. And he says, yeah, if they really thought this was important, then make us do it. I mean, this is the military. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. And I very much believe that to be the case. And I think the effect of the military, it's a lot of other people out there looking at it and saying, they control the military. The military is used to taking orders. They're used to getting vaccinated on a, for a million shots for a million different mm-hmm. things, you know? And so if they're not making them get shots, maybe I'll just put it off more as well because I'm a little uncertain. And my uncle says he's got some, you know, ridiculous Newsmax stuff that shows that it's not going to work and so forth. So, or it's dangerous. So I think the the utility of, uh, the, I do think the military would be an important 
point, a moment at which one could say, okay, look, we're not messing around here. Everyone's got to get vaccinated. And, and private sector organizations would find it easier to do it if the military were doing it, the federal government were doing it, city, city and state governments, you know, businesses. I think you could get to up to that higher number pretty fast if a lot of big organizations really start mandating that people be vaccinated as they should. So you are seeing a number of Republicans who are uh, becoming a little more forceful in saying that people ought to take vaccines. Even Mitch McConnell is saying it. Uh, Roy Blunt in, in Missouri is actually having a press conference where he's reading articles about people who didn't get vaccinated and, and are dying. Um, since we've been beating up on Kevin McCarthy, um, he, he tweeted out this morning. Kevin McCarthy is really extraordinary. Actually, he, he tweeted it out last night. This is after the CDC changed its uh, recommendations on wearing masks. Make no mistake, McCarthy tweeted, the threat of bringing masks back is not a decision based on science, but a decision conjured up by liberal government officials who want to continue to live in a perpetual pandemic state. <laughs> I mean, if that came from Charlie Kirk, you'd go, Charlie Kirk's an idiot. But this right. is the this is the this is the minority leader in the uh, in the House of Representatives. But focusing on masks as opposed to the vaccines, I, I don't know. I mean, there's this vast conspiracy that that you know, the liberal government just wants this pandemic to go on. Do they really believe that? I mean, does anyone? I mean, well, I mean, I suppose there are some people who believe it, but this is part of the demagoguery. You just assume that, that McCarthy understands that that's that no one wants the pandemic to go on forever. Certainly not liberal government. Right. You know, uh, Right. And yet and, and yet he panders to that. And by pandering to that, he panders to the resistance for people to behave in a responsible way. Totally. I mean, the masks are less important than much less right. important than the vaccine and much and less, unfortunately, important. less effective probably against the Delta variant. So, again, but I just got an email from a very close friend this morning saying she was going to go to the grocery store. It just happened. She, we were texting. So she just mentioned she was going. wasn't like the point of it. And she was going to wear a mask. But you know what? You don't know. And maybe it'll help a little bit on the margin. And again, we don't have a situation where a giant or Safeway can put out a sign saying every employee at this store is vaccinated. That would be, now if that were the case, right. you still don't know about all the fellow shoppers and so forth, but still that would might, might change people's behavior. Anyway, the mask is, but it's harmless, right? I mean, why is Kevin McCarthy upset if people want to well, wear masks? Be, be, because it's a symbol for him. Like I personally, I personally hate wearing the mask. Okay. This is not a political position. It's not, and it's not something that affects my behavior, except I don't go certain places. But the other, the alternative message would be, you hate wearing masks, then make sure your neighbor and your family members get vaccinated. Do the pivot. You know, if you want to go maskless, then support efforts to vaccinate. If you want to be mad at somebody about having to wear a mask, don't be mad at the government. Be mad at, you know, the bozos who uh, you know, have been listening to Newsmax and, uh, you know, or maybe Kevin McCarthy's Twitter feed and are, are not are not vaccinated. And, and, I, totally. and I, do, I mean, I do think there's going to be there's going to be real anger of uh, over the people who have refused to be vaccinated. Yeah, and said if Kevin McCarthy and Scalise and Stefanik, instead of standing up there and trashing the Capitol Police and and uh, and uh, their fellow Republicans, uh, Liz Cheney and, and and Adam Kinzinger, they could stand up there and say, we are the leaders of this big political party in the House. We're close to a majority. And we are urging every single person who voted for Republican and everyone else too yep. this last November to get vaccinated. That would have a little impact. You know, maybe people, you know, I'm not saying people see Kevin McCarthy and Elise Stefanik and go, oh my God, but it would, it would move some people on the margin. 
they don't even think of doing it because they're so irresponsible. It's really, it, it's kind of infuriating, honestly, because we're going to pay a big it price is. for this. People are really going to get sick and die because of the total irresponsibility of these people. So let's talk about uh, Simone Biles for a minute because you, you had an interesting tweet about this. I, I find it amazing watching all of the, some of these conservative commentators. They, well, the Charlie Kirks of the world. I don't even know if I describe him as conservative. But there he is on video um, wearing a hat with an American flag, um, you know, rooting against the American teams in the Olympics. He's got 2.5 million views on this one video in which he calls Simone Biles a selfish sociopath and ashamed of the country. We are raising a generation of weak people like Simone Biles. And you tweeted out, even by Trump's standards, Charlie Kirk is impressively repulsive. I mean, I haven't followed, I don't follow gymnastics much. I haven't followed the Olympics much. I didn't follow that gymnastics scandal too much. It was really horrifying Mm -hmm. to read about a little. You'd think maybe Charlie Kirk would have, well, hey, so just from a human point of view to sort of trash this fantastically impressive young woman because, you know. Who could crush his head with her thighs. Yeah. I mean, it's really. She could crush his head like a melon. (laughs) And, And here's a guy who like five minutes ago was like, you know, selling, you know, you know, peddling pills because he couldn't move around and he's mocking one of the greatest athletes of, of our time. I mean, like Simone Biles has anything to prove to a, who's, you know, who's shown an it, unbelievable amount of no, dedication and, you know, in a way, if you just not to get too earnest, but if you're thinking yeah, about yeah. the next generation or two, you know what? I'd be thrilled if we have a lot of America full of Simone Biles and and and, and not of <laughs> rather than of Charlie Kirk. So they're about the same age. Which one has accomplished more, incidentally, in his or her yeah. life? You know. So it, just from a, but the lack of human sympathy is what's yeah so striking there. And um, uh, and also incidentally, this was you know this was I, I think it's the case that she well she and certainly many of her. Uh, colleagues unfortunately were molested by this horrible doctor yeah. you know and how about a little bit of you know if we're going to get get critical of people let's be critical of the authorities that allowed this to happen and covered it up and so forth there there's some genuine institutional problems in america uh but being critical of, of this young woman is really astonishing but again charlie kirk yeah he's he's accomplished so much he's been such a role model really and such an encouraging uh you know sign of where young america is going i really i hope all this hurts i just the, the lack of human sympathy yeah it's I, just it is there's no empathy and yeah. it also just regarded what was the the Federalist, you know, arguing something like, you know, her it's not about her. Her job is to go out there and win medals for the United States, well, which treats her as purely, you know, instrumental. Right. I mean, it's just she's like a thing, you know, that, that, that we that we use to, you know, advance as, as opposed to. No, this is a human being who has human issues and who has accomplished more in her life than than you will ever do. And yet you. Sit on your fat ass and you judge her. It's just, it, it's and also, what is the conservative principle? What is the conservative issue? What what is it about the right that feels the need to make this an issue? Decisions by athletes. You have people who are rooting right. against the women's soccer team. Where, where did we get on all this? I mean, I, I, know, I understand it's really, saying, yeah. No. It's really appalling at so many levels, the human level, the kind of intellectual level, if you want to put it this way, that these entitled jackasses are looking down at people who've achieved so much more than they have or will. 
frankly, but you know, not to get again too serious about it, but so people have read a lot about sports, obviously, over the years. Yeah. Michael Novak, the late Michael Novak, a neoconservative uh, writer and thinker, Catholic thinker, uh, wrote a book called The Joy of Sports, which I remember enjoying you know, 30 years ago or so. But I think one of the points that's often made about sports is about the Olympics, for example, it's great. You root for your team. You root for the Bucks. You root for the USA. You know, and that's so you, you. There's a kind of solid communal solidarity or patriotism, even in the case of the Olympics. But you also recognize excellence. One of the great things about sports is that it has both. Right? It's not you sort of. It's not recognizing excellence by itself without regard to the particular nation or community you live in. But it's not the most vulgar kind of nationalism or, or, or you know, localism either, because the whole thing about sports is you look up and you see, sure. wow, that player on that other team was really terrific too. And the Olympics in a way has the best of both worlds of that. A lot of, you know, playing the USA, uh, the national anthem, that's great. But then you look at someone else from another country performing terrifically and you think, well, that's really a fantastic story. The the bicyclist who, that was it, the bicyclist who, you know, was getting I think it's her math degree, yeah. I think, and anyway, won this race that Amazing. she wasn't supposed to win or, you know, all these all these people like that. So, um, you know, the best things about sports get, everything gets ruined. I mean, this is the, yeah. is that JVL's not? Trumpism corrupts yeah, everything. Yeah, everything. And so you can't enjoy sport, sports, you can't root for your side, but also appreciate excellence from others anymore because it's all dragged down by these extremely vulgar and unpleasant and really deplorable people. Well, let me just read you one, one last uh, tweet here from uh, from a writer named uh, Kavitha uh, Davidson, who I think writes for The Atlantic. Simone Biles won nationals with broken toes in both feet. Um, Worlds won, won a world championship with a kidney stone and has carried the burden of being a, a face of sexual assault survivors as a national institution failed to support them. And half of y'all yelling about toughness cannot handle wearing a mask in Wegmans. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> That's good. That's good. I, I thought that put it in context. Okay, one, one, one last thing. There was a special election um, primary down in Texas in which the Trump-endorsed candidate was defeated. Uh, you know, there's there are people, you know, cautioning against reading too much into this because the turnout was very low. But it does suggest that perhaps Trump's influence may have been somewhat overstated. I'm interested to get your take on on that on that special election. Yeah, I think that's right. It was it was um, uh, Elsie ran a better campaign. He's the one who defeated Susan mm -hmm. Wright, the Trump endorsed uh, candidate, the widow of the former Congress member of Congress. Um, but. And it was a special election in which the two Republicans made the runoff. So I'm told, I was reading a little bit about it and in touch with one person down there, a bunch of Democrats, I mean, some Democrats turned out a lot just stayed home because there were two pretty conservative Trump pretty Trump acquiescent Republicans running, but one Trumpier than the other. And, uh, but some Democrats turned out to vote for LZ just because he's less bad than right. And so ironically, the Democrats might've put LZ over, which is fine. Uh, it does mean that maybe among the you know, Republican primary, a Trump endorsement still remains very powerful, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I wouldn't overinterpret it. I, I had a tiny bit part in this race, weirdly, because in 2018, LZ, who's a kind of impressive guy, a, a post 9-11 vet and so forth, um, he was much less, was really kind of anti-Trump, closer to us. And so I sent him a modest check. Uh, and this became, in 2018, uh -oh. he lost that primary. So he, he used to say, then, then he became a member of the state 
legislature. Um, and then in, t- in this race, this was used by the Club of Growth to attack Elsie as this, you know, he, he received $250 from the most notorious anti-Trump hitman, William Crystal. <laughs> and so I, I hope that they played that ad enough to get a few Democrats and a few independents and a few never-Trump Republicans to say, well, I don't know if they're attacking Elsie for, you know, having something in common with the never-Trump people, maybe we'll go vote for Elsie. So I hope that ad re- uh, backfired and maybe put Elsie over the top that, and made Trump's morning in my Mar-a-Lago uh, t- this morning, kind of miserable. That would that would cheer me up. Yeah, I'm, I just don't think he's having a great day today. I just I'm, <laughs> I'm guessing that the mood is not uh, you know they're, they're, they're not, they don't have the white flag out over Mar-a-Lago. By the way, wouldn't that be perfect if they sort of had a, you know flags over Mar-a-Lago? The mood to, <laughs> the mood today. Orange would be he's really feeling good. Uh, black, don't screw with him. Um, you know, red, he's been watching too much Fox News, something like that. Bill Crystal, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. Appreciate it very much as always. Yeah, as always, Charlie, it was my pleasure. And thank you for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow and we'll do this all over again. Mm-hmm.